Well, hello, Freedom House Central Campus. You guys doing great today? It's so good to be here with you. My name is Olin Carter. I serve here on our teaching team. And if you are new to Freedom House Church, that is something very special about our church that I love so much. We do everything here as a team, even the teaching and preaching of God's word. And and the reason for that is our pastors, our incredible senior pastors, they have this vision that this church shouldn't be built on them, on one person, on a personality. It should be built on the vision that God has given us as a church. Isn't that an incredible vision? Would you guys give some honor to our senior pastors, Pastor Troy and Penny? Give them a hand clap. I love to always honor them. They don't ask us to do that, but I love them so much. Because of that vision, I get to do something that I really love doing, and so I'm appreciative of that. And you guys have some awesome campus pastors as well. Pastor Aaron and Stephanie, you guys stand up. So everybody can see. If you haven't met them, make sure you meet them. Um, They are two of the most pastoral people I have ever met. There are so many stories at this campus of people that have gotten what we call the love shove. (laughs) Because they will encourage you and get you really motivated to serve God. They're great, great at that. And before we jump into God's word today, I want to uh, make sure we welcome our online campus. We have people joining us right now from all over the world. We have people in Michigan, Indiana, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, West Virginia, California, North Carolina, Maine, Virginia, Idaho, Peru, the United Kingdom, and El Salvador. Will you guys give them a hand clap? Awesome. So glad you're with us today. And we have an incredible online campus, a great team that runs that. We love you guys so much. And we are in a great series right now called Dark Versus Light. It's not dark and light. It's dark versus the light. And you know, there's always been a battle between the darkness and the light. This In this series, we really want to expose the strategies of the darkness. It's important that we understand if we have an enemy, the Bible says there's an enemy of our soul, what strategy is he going to use? What strategies do the kingdom of darkness want to employ to lure us away, to, to bring us away from God? You know, the devil is not going to come and show up at your door one day, knock on the door, you open the door and he just, you know, hello. I'm Lucifer. I'm here to lure you away from God. <laughs> like, he's not going to do that, right? No, no Satan's not going to show up and announce himself. He's not going to have horns. He's not going to just, you know, blow trumpets. No, it's going to be subtle. He's going to try to lure you away a little bit at a time. That is his strategy. And so we want to expose that. And in this series, I think you're going to learn some things. How many of you were here last week for Pastor Troy's message? Incredible message. If you didn't hear that, go online. It's about discernment, having spiritual discernment. So, so important. Um, and if you're taking notes today, I hope you are. I encourage you to do that. The, the title of the message today, if you want to write this down, is A Beautiful Rebuke. A beautiful rebuke. Now, I'm a dog person. Do I have any other dog people in the house? Anybody like their dog? Yeah? Y'all weren't dog people. The first service, they were dog people. They were like, yeah, yeah, they were cheering. Let's try it again. Do I have any dog people in the house? There you go. There you go. And you know what? If you're not a dog person, you should be. And you know why? Because dogs are so much better than cats. 
they're better. They're just better. You know, when, when cats are going to hell, let's just face it. That's what hell is. When you get to hell, anybody that goes to hell, it's just going to be a big house full of cats. That's what hell's going to be. Cats are terrible. I really believe this about cats. I think if someone came to take a shot at you, if you have a dog, I believe your dog would like jump in the way and take the bullet for you. They're so loyal. A cat would push you in front of the bullet to save themselves, right? And this is what's scary. When I tell cat people that, they're like, yeah, I like that about cats. It's like, what? It's crazy, right? Who wants that? But I believe that dogs are awesome. I love dogs. We have a little dog, a little Morky. Anybody know what a Morky is? It's, it's, it's half Maltese, half Yorkshire Terrier. So Morky, she's really cute. And uh, I didn't want to get the dog, uh, my, my wife and kids. I'm a dog person, but I just, I didn't want an inside dog. And it took them years. They finally convinced me. And then like 10 minutes after we got the dog, I am completely wrapped. I'm like, oh, I got to do a baby. I'm just, I love the dog. The dog's name is Pumpkin, not Pumpkin. Sometimes people say, oh, Pumpkin. I'm like, it's not Pumpkin, Pumpkin. Her name is Pumpkin. She's very cute and adorable. And here's the thing I love about her. Every time I get home, Man, she is fired up. Anybody else have a dog like that? Like the minute you get, you even get out of your car in the driveway, like tails wagging, like her whole, she, she's, she'll wag her tail so her, her whole body's shaking. Like she's just, oh, I'm so excited. I mean, she's just whining. I mean, just ready for the master to be home. When I get home, when Tammy gets home, I mean, our dog is so excited. And you know, when I was thinking about that, I believe there's a lot of us, me included, that when we came to Jesus, we got saved, that, that third song today, incredible song, The Blood Applied, come on, that was a great song. And that song hit it, the nail right on the head. When we came to Jesus, man, he rescued us. He saved us. He changed us. And when that first happens, man, for many of us, we were like that little dog. I mean, we were just, oh, oh, Jesus, church, I'm so excited. Like church went in and we'd be like, when's the next church service? When can I come back? Do we have a service tonight? Is there a midweek service? Is there a group? Is there a life group? I want, I want more church, man. Can we, can we do another worship song? Let's do another worship song. Can we do another worship song? I mean, face pressed against the glass doors. Like, I need more church, man. Like, you know, I mean, we were fired up. Couldn't get enough church. Couldn't get enough God. Man, just wanted more. And now, been saved five years, 10 years, coming to church, serving, doing our thing. And man, now Sunday comes, alarm clock goes off, and there's no, oh, I just want church. Now it's like, oh, God. This is Sunday again. Do I have to serve today? Oh, shoot, I got to serve I gotta serve. I gotta get up. I gotta go. Maybe I'll just, uh, you know, my throat's been kind of scratchy. Maybe I'll just call my team leader, tell them I'm just, you know, a little under the weather. I mean, I'm doing it for them. I don't wanna make everybody else sick, you know, because I've had a long week. I mean, now just the thought of the things that we used to get so excited about, now we've lost our enthusiasm. Anybody identify with that today? And Jesus comes to the churches. This is in Revelation. We're going to start today if you want to turn in your Bibles. Revelation chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 2. He has these letters to these seven churches, and he starts with this church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, just to give you a little context, Ephesus is like, 
it's the city, man. It's like New York. It's the biggest city in that, in that area. It's a port city. It's a party city. It's a money city. I mean, they, they're, they're very affluent there. There's a lot going on in Ephesus. And it was one of the early churches. And it was kind of a, a powerhouse church. It's a place where Paul spent a lot of time. It's where he sent Timothy to do ministry. I mean, it was a big deal, a big church in the body of Christ back then. And here in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus has a message for the church. He says in verse two, he says, I know your works, doing some stuff. He says, your labor, your endurance, that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. They're not sleeping in on Sundays. I mean, the Ephesian church, they were doing a thing, man. They were building the church. Verse four, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Some translations will say you've lost your first love. Verse five, remember then, Jesus says, remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Wow. Jesus rebukes this church that appears to be working so hard to be doing all the right things. I mean, they're doing the stuff. I mean, they're coming, they're serving, they're laboring, he says. He says, man, you've endured, you've not grown weary, you've stood for sound doctrine. And how many of you know that's important, man? It's important today, it was important back then. I mean, that's important. You have to stand up for that. But yet he rebukes this church. Harsh rebuke, stern rebuke, but I believe a beautiful rebuke. I want us to see a different viewpoint on this passage today. I believe that this is such a beautiful, beautiful rebuke from Jesus. In this warning that might seem harsh, we learn something profound about God's heart for us, God's heart for the church. See, the church in a Ephesus was doing a lot of good things. It says they're working hard. They're enduring hardships. They're, they're staying true to the word of God. And man, I see a lot of us in that passage. A lot of Freedom House in there. Man, we're standing firm as a church, right? Amen? That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for that. Those things are good. Man, we're led by some dynamic pastors. Pastor Troy, man, I'm telling you, that message last week, you gotta watch it. Incredible how to discern. Pastor Penny, man, she's no pushover, amen? She'll stand up. Our pastors will fight. Our campus pastors, our leaders here at our church, I mean, we're doing it. We're fighting. We're pushing back. And it's easy sometimes when you're in the fight and you're doing the things to get so busy and so called up in the fight and what you're doing to forget that you too are subject to the darkness, that you're vulnerable to be lured and tempted away. I see a lot of us in this church. You would think that all they would hear from Jesus would be, hey, good job. Keep it up. Good work. You're standing firm. Keep going. 
but that's not what you hear. Jesus lets us know something so important in this rebuke. He lets us know that his primary desire for you and for me, his heart for us, what God really desires from us is not our spiritual productivity. It's not how much we serve, how much we do, how much we give. It's not our strict adherence to sound doctrine. It's not how righteous we are, how correctly we interpret the word of God. We should serve. We should do those things. We should interpret God's word carefully and accurately. But that's not God's main desire. It's not our diligence and service to him or to his church. No, the primary thing that Jesus wants from you is you. Jesus wants you more than he wants what you do. The who has to matter more than the do. It's more about who you are, who you serve, the relationship you have in God infinitely is more concerned about your heart than he is about what you can do for him. Sometimes because of our fallen humanity and the humanity of others, we can get cynical about our relationship with God. We can let the darkness whisper in our ear, nobody likes you down there. They don't love you for you. They don't just love you for, they just corrected you. That leader just, just corrected, they just want you to do what they want you to do. They're just using you to, to, to do the coffee shop and to, and to work the kids because they don't want to have to do it. They're just using you to get your money. They're just using you. And then over time, man, that can even bleed over where I believe, man, maybe God's just using me. It becomes more about what I do for the kingdom, for God, than about my love for God. We allow others to violate our boundaries. Or maybe, maybe... We just don't set any for ourselves. I'm doing too much. Whose fault is that? Because listen, as a church, and I tell every leader this, as a pastor, as a church, I will ask too much of you. I'm gonna. It's your job to set the boundary. It's your responsibility to say, here's what I can give. Here's what I can do. And to set that boundary for yourself. It's not my job. I don't know your life. I don't know your schedule. And so as a pastor, if it's, hey, do I, am I going to invite you to serve? Am I going to invite you to take part? Yes, I'm going to every time. That's my job. I'm going to encourage you to do too much. And it's on you to stand up and say, hey, happy to help. But here's my limit. Here's my boundary. Because my relationship with God's got to come first. Everything's got to flow out of that, and why do we not set those boundaries? Because I care more about what you think about me than I care about what God thinks about me. It's not about my relationship with God. It's not flowing out of this passionate love for Jesus. No, somewhere in there, I want to impress everybody else. I want to seem a certain way. I want to come off a certain way. It all comes back to pride. I've lost my first love. And I can forget that before I did anything for God, before you did anything for God, he loved you. He loved you. He loved me when I was a rotten little kid. And man, I was a hateful little young. And let me tell you something. My mama whooped me, but not nearly enough. I mean, I mean I'm telling you. In the Old Testament, they would have stoned me. I wouldn't have made it. I was a rebellious little young, you know? I mean, I was just selfish, you know? 
Didn't love anybody but myself. I mean, you know, and then when Jesus saved me, he got hold of me. He changed me. And I can forget where I was, who I was, and what he did for me. Before I did anything for him, when I was his enemy, when I didn't believe, when I didn't trust in God, listen, when you were at your worst, he loved you before you did anything. The Bible says here in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if God loved you so much that when you were his enemy, that he would send Jesus to die for you, how much more does he love you now that you're his kid? Does he love you less today that you're a Christian than he did when you were a sinner? The darkness will lie to us. See, it's the battlefield is in the mind. The darkness wants you to forget this. And have you ever thought about this? What does God really need from me, from you? Does God need us? Does he need anything from me? Does he need my money? Listen, last time I checked, he's doing okay. I don't think God needs my tiny little offering. I don't think God needs my service to him. This, this world was spinning before I existed. It'll be spinning long after I'm gone. God doesn't need anything from us. There's one thing that we have, you have, that God wants. He desires. There's one primary thing that he wants from you, your love. He wants your love. He wants your heart. More than what you do, more than the money you give or contribute or this or being a good person. Or, no, no, no. He wants your heart. He wants your love, your devotion. Look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. It says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the most important command. He says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, what does that mean? Another way to translate that is with your whole heart, all of it, undivided, not taking part of my heart and giving it over here and part of my heart and giving it over there. No, my whole heart belongs to God. And what does that mean? Does it, don't think of it as a, a list of things to do because sometimes that's where people get confused. Well, I gotta make God my number one priority. What does that mean? Should we join a monastery and just sit and pray all day? You know, I just put on a robe and just home, you know, and that's what I do all day long. I just, I just meditate on the word and pray. You're gonna starve to death is what you're gonna do. We gotta work. We gotta feed our kids. We gotta do all the stuff, right? Doesn't mean that putting God first is like that. Think about it like a wheel and Jesus is the hub. Your relationship with God, your love for Jesus supports everything else you touch. Everything I do should flow from my love for God. I'm a husband. I try to be a good husband. Why? Because I love Jesus. I'm a father. I want to be a good father. Why? Because I love Jesus. I'm a member of this church. I want to be a good one. I want to serve. I want to help. I want to contribute. Why? To impress you? No. Easy to get there, me included. 
But the reason I should want to do it, because I love him. Because I love Jesus. And so we give him our whole heart and he wants all of you. He wants your brokenness. He wants your past. He wants your fear. He wants your stubbornness. When you're all nasty and nobody wants to be around you, he does. He says, bring it here. Yeah, but God, I'm just, you know, I mean, you spit and the grass dies. I mean, it's just like nasty, you know, just attitude, man, just oozing out of you, angry at everybody. He says, come here. I don't want to come here. Come here. And you start softening up. Jesus just gives you a big hug because he wants every bit of you. All the good stuff, all the bad stuff. Why? Because it's part of you. It's part of who you are. And he wants all of it. And he wants to transform all of it. He wants to touch all of it. He wants to own all of it. And he won't settle for part of you. He's not going to settle for part of you. Maybe you've trusted him with your salvation. You said, man, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus. I'm going to be saved. I'm going to put my faith in him. I'm going to try this Christian thing. I'm going to be a Christian. That's awesome. The Bible says when you put your faith in Christ, they throw a party in heaven and angels are dancing, having a party when one soul comes to Jesus. Awesome. So you get saved. You give him your heart. Guess what? Next day, Jesus Excuse me, I want more. But I, I just got saved yesterday. That was a big thing for me. Yeah, I know, it's cool, wasn't it? Hey, I want more. Well, I mean, what else could you want, God? I don't know. What's, what's gripping your heart right now? Maybe you just gave him your money. Maybe you just started tithing and trusting him financially. That's awesome. That's awesome. And we give 10%. And listen, the world will look at you giving 10% and go, you're an idiot. Like, that makes no sense financially. You're going to give God 10% of your money? That is crazy. That's a step of faith. I mean, amen? I mean, when you first start tithing, it's like, whoa. That's a bunch, God. You know what he says? He says, thank you. That's awesome. I love your obedience. I love you so much. That's so great you started tithing. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, guess what? What? I want more. 10%. You want more than 10%? Yeah, how much do you want? I want all of it. He wants 100% of your money. Now, that doesn't mean you have to give it all to the church. But that money you work for, listen, it's his. He wants every bit of it. When you see somebody in need and he says, hey, give them 100 bucks for groceries. But God, I already tithe. He's like, I want all of it. I want all of it. He wants to control where you spend every dime. What about your relationship? Your kids, man, I've been serving God. I've been, I got saved. I started tithing. Hey, I want more. He's going to get in your relationships. He wants your marriage. He wants your kids. He wants everything. And this is the problem with modern Christianity. We've been sold a lie. Come to church and just trust in Jesus. Just try him out. And see, he's a nice guy. You'll probably like him. It's okay. Just give Jesus a chance. And Jesus says, you know, giving me a chance. I want all of you. You got to come to me and you got to surrender your life, your heart, your everything. Jesus is relentless in his pursuit of you. And once we surrender one part of our heart to him, guess what? He's just going to go for the next part. He's never going to stop because he wants all of you. He wants every 
bit of you. Now, why is this such a big deal? Why is this a problem? If you haven't heard, and this brings me no pleasure to, to talk about this, but one of the most influential pastors in America, down in Atlanta, Georgia, his name is Andy Stanley. Anybody heard of Andy Stanley? And recently, Pastor Stanley held a conference at his church, and they basically platform people that teach and preach that homosexuality is permissible in the Bible. That as Christians, we should embrace and affirm homosexuality. It's not a sin, it's fine. Now, I pay attention to this stuff because I'm a pastor and I'm in it and I watch it all the time. And I have watched many, many podcasts and debates and the whole church world is going crazy right now about it. And there's some people that are on that side and there are some people that are just very upset and against it as they should be. Amen? It's not a good thing. But I was watching this podcast yesterday with these two guys. One I like to listen to, keeps it pretty biblical, but he had this progressive Christian. A progressive Christian is someone that would say, we can interpret the Bible for the modern era. Like we don't have to get stuck in what it's always meant. Like, you know, if, if we wanna love and welcome gay people and get marry gay people, that's fine. That's, that's a progressive Christian. They're putting the culture today above biblical truth, okay? And this guy on this podcast, as they begin to talk about it, and this is what really hit me with this, he's explaining and they're arguing about, you know, is it scriptural, is it not, should we do it, should we not? And they're debating back and forth all the pros and cons of affirming homosexuality. But here's the part that was missing. Love and devotion for Jesus. Nowhere in there was it, you know what? I love Jesus so much that whatever he asked me to do, I'm gonna do. That's the problem with the way we've presented the gospel today. We are called, we are commanded by God to come to him, to submit to him in such a way that, listen, no matter what God asks us to do, our answer should be yes. Yes, Lord. Whatever it may be, listen, God forbid, but if he said, oh, and listen to country music, I would put pencils in my ears, but I would have to do it. Amen? Even if he said, get a cat. I mean, that would be hard for me, but I would do it to obey Jesus. And so the heart attitude of everything we do in church, it's not an argument about what's permissible, what's not permissible. No, the argument should start with, what does Jesus want me to do? I should love Jesus so much that whatever God wants me to do, that's what I'm gonna do. And the enemy knows that if we forget this fundamental truth, if we forsake our first love, our passionate love for God, if that's not the bedrock, the starting point of everything we do, we are gonna end up lukewarm, complacent, and bitter. A loveless Christian is a powerless Christian. Our effectiveness is tied to our heart. And when I think of Jesus' rebuke to the Ephesian church, what it makes me think of is when I first fell in love. Anybody in here ever been in love before? Listen, if you're married and you're not raising your hand right now, can we get some security in the room? There could be some violence break out in God's house today. Listen, if you're married, you better raise your hand. But I remember when I first fell in love with my wife. 
And I remember I was on this mission trip and I had to, everybody on the mission trip must have wanted to just hit me with a baseball bat because I wouldn't shut up about Tammy. It was, oh, her hair, and she's just so pretty, and this, this, and we just talked, oh, I called her last night, and we just talked for hours. What'd you talk about? Oh, we just talked about everything, right? I mean, because when you're first dating, you talk about everything. What'd you talk about? Oh, everything. I mean, because you just got to share everything because you're so in love, and you're so infatuated, and now, and then you're married 20 years, and it totally changes, right? Because when you're first dating, it's like you just call each other, you're talking till two in the morning, you know, just about anything, and then you're married 20 years, and it's like, hey, what do you want to talk about? I don't know. What do you want to talk about? I don't know. You got anything? I ain't got anything. All right. Let's go, you know? Whole thing just changes. But when you're in love, man, you're so infatuated. You're so excited. You just want to talk about that person. You just want to love that person. And for many of us, man, when we were first saved, man, we loved Jesus so much, we would do anything. We just wanted to talk to Jesus, to be with Jesus, to be in church. And then over time, our heart begins to get hard. The enemy has whispered in those lies. And we're not excited like we used to be. We've lost our first love. See, the chief weapon of darkness is deception. John chapter 8, verse 44, it says, For you are the children, you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. See, he hates the fact that you're here right now, hearing that God loves you for you, hearing that it's not about what you do. What you do comes from who you are, from your love, from your passion, from Jesus. He hates it. He hates for you to hear the truth because he wants to lie to you and he wants to pull you away. He wants to poison the well of your walk with God. He wants you to get angry at people. He wants you to get offended at people. He wants you to get bitter and, and complacent. He wants to pull you away. It says he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. The deception of the enemy is subtle. Sin is an erosion. It happens gradually over time. We don't even realize when it's happening, and the enemy will use anything and everything he can to lure you away from God. Even the good things, like this church in, in Ephesus. He'll even use your service. He'll even use your giving. He'll use anything he can. He'll try to twist it. He'll try to use it against you to pull you away from Jesus, and the result is one of two extremes. Either we end up a loveless Pharisee because this church, they were really good at calling out error and everybody else. They were good heresy hunters. They were good at telling everybody else where they were wrong. But they got so good at correcting people, they forgot to love people. Their motivation slowly but surely became pride at how right they were and how wrong you are. And so it was no longer motivated out of a love for God, a passion for God. Man, I got to reach people. I got to correct. Why? Because God wants the best for people and we just want to love them. No, it became pride and they became a loveless Pharisee with no power. Or we can become a lawless progressive. We can interpret scripture however we want to to, to do what I want to do. Why? Because my relationship with Jesus isn't built on my love and my passion and my devotion for him. It's built on what I can get out of it. 
Either way, we end up in pride. We end up losing our influence and our power as a church. When we get things out of order, it messes everything up. We've got to love God first. So what's the answer? What do we do? What does Jesus warn this church? What does he correct them and tell them to do? Number one, he says, remember. Everybody say, remember. He says, remember then how far you have fallen. This phrasing in the Greek could be translated, remember from where you have fallen. The Amplified Bible says, remember then from what heights you have fallen. You've got to remember those early days like when you were dating and you just stayed up all night on the phone. I love you. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. It's annoying when you're not in it, isn't it? But man, when you're in love, when you're in the middle of it, you're just, oh, you know. He says, remember. Remember when you were first saved. Remember when your face was pressed against the glass doors. I want church, man. Let's have another service. Let's have some more worship. Let's do another Bible study. Like, I just want some Jesus. He says, remember. Remember before you were saved. Remember when you got saved. Remember the person you used to be. He says, remember. For those of us that are in this blessed life study we're doing right now, I love this illustration Robert Morris, Pastor Robert Morris shared it on the, I think it was the first teaching. And this person asked his wife, why do you think Pastor Robert is so generous? He gives away all this stuff. He gives away cars. He gives away a house. He gives away all this money. Why do you think he's so generous? And he said, a tear just began to streak down her face. And she said, you know, the reason I think he's so generous is he's never gotten over getting saved. And I think the problem sometimes is too many of us have gotten over getting saved. We've forgotten where we came from. We've forgotten that first love. Jesus says, remember, remember. The worship songs that fire me up, I love that third song today, man. That thing was awesome. Are songs that talk about the blood, that talk about Jesus, that talk about the cross. Why? Because they help me remember. Remember the passion that I once had, the love, the passion for God. They helped me remember. Kim Walker Smith has this song. You can look it up on YouTube. Jesus paid it all. Oh my gosh. I can't listen to that song and drive. Like, we're gonna have a problem, you know? I mean, I'm just gonna run off the road, man. I can't, I just start crying. That song gets me every time. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. He paid it all for me. So what can this look like? Practically, how can we remember? Number one, take communion. Take communion. Here's a beautiful thing. You don't have to be at church and you don't need a pastor to take communion. You can take communion at home anytime you want. When my wife, a year and a half, two years ago, she was struggling uh, fighting cancer. That was the word God gave me for me and her is that every day until she was cancer free, we took communion together. Now, I didn't do that and I don't believe God told me to do that because taking communion is some formula for healing. You can get healed taking communion. It can help you walk in faith in that area. But I believe the reason God told me to do that is because he wanted me to remember. Every time we got a negative report from the doctor, remember. Remember what I saved you from. Remember where you were. Remember what I did for you. Remember what I've done in your life. Every time the enemy would come. And then that morning we would get that communion element. We would take communion we remembered, and let me tell you, when you remember what God did for you, your faith, man, comes alive. 
Your faith wakes up when you remember what God has already done for you. And when you start to get cynical and when you start to get angry and when you're offended by people, when you take communion and you remember what Jesus did for you, everything becomes fresh again. All that negativity just begins to go. Why? Because you remember. You remember. The second thing is block some extra time for prayer and for worship. Great book written many years ago, I'm Too Busy Not to Pray. Man, sometimes ask me, I get so busy, so wrapped up in all the things, and you can get so busy that the first thing that you put on pause is your time with God, your worship time, your prayer time. Can I just encourage you? The busier you get, the more you need to pray. You've got to remember, you've got to go to God. And here's the beautiful thing about prayer life and praying God's word. When you go to God, you can just vent, you can say it all. He wants your fear, he wants your brokenness, he wants your stubbornness, he wants your sin, he wants you to bring it all to him. But then when you bring it and you start griping and complaining to God, he has this incredible way of just turning it all around. Does he do that for anybody else? Man, I go to God sometimes and man, I start complaining God, I'm so tired of this, and God, I'm dealing with this, and God, I just need you to do this. And within two minutes, I start, and God, I just, God, you've been so good to me. God, I'm sorry for complaining. I shouldn't be thinking like this. God, God, fix my rotten attitude, Lord. I'm sorry. In just two or three minutes, when I go to God and pray, and I just start venting and start just, bleh, just vomiting all my junk out on God, the Holy Spirit kicks in just changes my heart because I remember. The third thing is journal. This is something that I've been doing for now, maybe a year and a half, two years. I've always been kind of, eh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to journal. Uh, you know, I've always thought people that journal are kind of, I don't know. I don't know. Overly introspective, maybe. Just sit around navel gazing all the time. Like, you know, I'm trying to understand who I am. You know, I'm Olin. Good to meet you. You know, but I started journaling. And, and here's the thing. I'm not religious about it. I don't do it every single day. I do it when I do it. But it's been amazing because when I just begin, kind of like the prayer thing, when you begin to write these things down, God will help you process how you feel and how you think. Can't tell you how many times I've been struggling with things in the last you know, two years. I write something. I begin to write it. And then all of a sudden I stop and go, whoa, where'd that come from? I will write something I didn't realize. I'll see something and God will use that to speak to me and to remind me of his goodness. The second thing Jesus says we do, number one is remember. Everybody say remember. Yeah. Number two is repent. Repent. Recognize that forsaking your first love is sin. The devil would love to lure us away into a place of complacency in our walk with God. And guys, dark versus light. Can I tell you, this is actually one of the greatest temptations we face. For many Christians, Satan is not coming to you trying to get you to do something, you know, some crazy external sin. He's trying to get us so busy, so bitter, so offended, so tired, so off track, so whatever, that we drift away and we're not motivated by our love for God. This is one of the greatest temptations. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. He said to him, we read this earlier, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. It doesn't say suggestion. 
It's not a suggestion that we love God with all our heart. It is the most important command. And many times we can make excuses about our lukewarm spiritual life. We can justify where we are because we can say, look what I'm doing. Look at them, God. Look at the world. And in a world that's getting so dark, it's easy to feel like we're doing the right things because we're not as bad as they are. But are you passionate about Jesus? Are you on fire for Jesus? Is everything that you do, is it coming out of a love for God? Because if not, the Bible says, Jesus says, repent. He says it's sin, it's wrong. He should be number one in our life. And so we have to remember, we have to remember when we were passionate, remember that love, and then we've got to repent, we've got to recognize it for what it is. Man, I've been lured away. The things of this world have become more important to me than my walk with God. And I've got to repent. The third and final thing is do the works you did at first. Here's the thing I've learned in my marriage. Sometimes the feelings aren't there. They're not that strong. Me and my wife, we get so busy sometimes. It's like we, we come home, we see each other, and you know, it's like, I don't meet her at the bedroom door with a rose in my teeth like, hey, baby, you know? It's more like, how you doing? Good day, all right, high five, let's go to bed. You know, I mean, we're tired, right? Anybody identify? No, he's just wore out. And you're not thinking romantic things. You're not thinking intimacy. You're thinking, I would love to get an extra hour of sleep, right? But here's the thing I've learned through marriage. It's easier to act your way into feeling than to feel your way into acting. And so many times, Christians get stuck because we don't feel this passion for Jesus. We see our campus pastors, and they're, man, they're fired up, and we're like, I wish I was fired up like them. You are. You can be. The fire's there. And let me tell you what I've learned in my marriage. When... Me and my wife reconnect and we begin to talk and we begin to share things and we begin to have that intimate time together. Listen, not only is the fire and the love still there, I love her more than I ever have before. The fire is brighter, it's burning stronger than it ever has before. Why? Because I know her now. We've been married 24 years and I've seen that woman have kids when you see your wife go through that, listen, I got more respect for her than like a Navy SEAL. Like watching her birth our children, I mean, it's like, whoa. Seeing her battle cancer, seeing her raise my kids. Listen, when I remember and I repent and I come back and I say, babe, we got to reconnect. I'm sorry I've been so busy. Let's talk, let's connect. Listen, the fire is still there. And that same fire for Jesus is still there in you. When you repent, when you remember, you come to Jesus and you say, God, I just want that fire. Listen, the fire is there. The Holy Spirit will meet you right where you are. Do the works you did at first. What were the things that you used to do to love God that you've quit doing? What were those things? Do those works. Just put some worship music on. Get your Bible out again. And just begin to have that time with God and that fire will rekindle. Jesus warns that if they don't repent, 
return to their first love, that he would remove their lampstand. Now, what does that mean? He's not saying, I'm gonna come and remove your salvation. That's not what that's about. Their lampstand was their ministry. It was their place of influence in the kingdom. So what is Jesus saying here? He's telling us this. If you don't turn back to me, if you don't repent, if you don't remember that first love and return to your first love, listen, I will remove anything and everything that's gotten in between us, even if it's ministry. And sadly, we see this happening in the church today. We see it all over our country where the church is losing its power, losing its influence. Why? Because most churches have either turned into loveless Pharisees where it's just about pointing their finger or they've turned into this progressive lawlessness where they don't draw any lines at all. There's no power. There's no love in the church. There's no, there's no Holy Spirit there. Why? Because Jesus has said, I've removed your lampstand. If it's not motivated out of a love for me, I'm gonna take your influence and your position away. And I believe that our country, I believe Charlotte needs the church. I believe we need a church that's alive, that's powerful. We don't need a loveless church. We need a powerful church that can rise up and be the light in the darkness. And the way we do that is prioritizing our relationship with God. Listen, your relationship with God must come before your work for God. It must. And any time we allow that to get out of order, listen, Jesus says, repent or I'll remove your lampstand. I'll sit you because you've got to flow out of that relationship with me. Isn't it awesome to know that God loves you for you? That he just wants you. It's not using you, manipulating you for what he can get out of you. It's not about how productive you can be. In fact, you'll be more productive spiritually when it flows out of a love for God. When you're serving him because you love him and you're passionate about him. Listen, you might see somebody and they're here at the church and they're here every time the doors are open and they're serving and they're doing all the things. But if our heart's not right, that service, it won't produce any spiritual fruit. But when people come in this house and you're holding a door, you're serving a coffee, you're helping with their kids and they see that look in your eye, that fire, that passion, that love for Jesus, they know you're back there, not because you don't have anything better to do on a Sunday, but you're back there because you love Jesus enough to take care of their kids. When they see that fire in you, man, it brings life change. It inspires people to say, man, I wanna be like him. I wanna be like her. I want to have that same life, that same joy, that same love. Why? Because it's generated from the right place. Let's serve him because we love him. Let's obey him because we love him. Let's put the first thing first, amen? Amen. Will you stand on your feet today? I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. And I know there are people here today and maybe you hear this message and you think, man, I'd love to be that excited about anything. I would love to have a relationship with God, but I don't know God. I've never put my faith in God. I've never received Christ as my savior. I don't even, I don't know how this stuff works. Listen, the Bible says that if you'll put your faith in Jesus, that he died for your sins, 
and that he rose again. The Bible promises you will be saved. You will be changed. The Bible says he gives you a new heart, a new nature. This fire I keep talking about, man, he can put it inside of you today. And if that's you, if you're online today, we have people that will pray and connect with you as well. If that's you and you would say, man, I need this, I want this. I've been going my own way too long. I need Jesus in my life. If that's you, you wanna confess Jesus as your Lord and your Savior right now. If that's you, will you just raise your hand up? Just be bold and lift your hand up in this place. Amen, amen, I see that hand, see that hand, see that hand. I see that hand, hands up all across the room. Thank you so much for being bold. We're gonna pray this prayer together. And listen, church, let's pray together. Let's participate together because some of us, man, we've been saved a long time and maybe just the last few months, things of life has hit us and we've lost a little bit of that fire. Listen, listen, the Holy Spirit is here right now and he's rekindling that fire in some of our hearts right now. I believe we can leave here with a fresh love and devotion for Jesus, amen. Amen. Let's pray. Everybody just say this out loud. Let's pray together with them. Say, Father God, I thank you for Jesus. He came. He died. He rose again. So I can know you, have relationship with you. I pray right now to give you my heart. Fill me with your fire, with your love. I don't want to be loveless. I don't want to forsake you. I want to serve you because I love you. Fill me right now with your Holy Spirit that I would never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen.